0: Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efrain Martinez. I am a principal in search of wisdom and I have found productivity to be a great tool for success. Today I have the great and distinguished honor of interviewing Dr. Hill Garcia, who is a Venezuelan American citizen, professor emerita, esteemed community leader, for running advocate for Latino educational leaders, five-time Fulbright U.S. scholar, and a published author that earned academic and administrative experiences from classroom teaching, acting superintendent, college department chair, and associate provost of academic affairs. Currently, the executive director of academic effectiveness at St. Augustine College in Chicago. For me, most importantly, Every interaction I've had with Ana Gil Garcia, she has been the kindest, most helpful, and I am very grateful to have her as my friend. Dr. Ana Gil Garcia, who are you? Good morning. Good morning.
1: <laughs> so good to see you, Efrain. Yeah. So well, now I have to say, you know, Dr. Efrain, which really I'm very, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm I'm very honored. I'm very proud of you. You know, just thank uh, you you know, uh, meeting you many years ago. And, and I know, you know, you work in the community and I really am very proud, you know, just the, the, the level that you have reached. I think, uh, you know, you deserve my... my <laughs> so yeah, who course. I am, um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's very easy to ask the question, but it's very difficult, you know, in a few minutes to tell you who I am. Well, my name <laughs> is Ana Gil Garcia. Uh, I was born in Margarita Island. Uh, it's a Venezuelan territory. I always said that, you know, just being born in an island makes me safe, mm-hmm. uh, even though, you know, the, uh, because everything that happened, uh, sometimes it happen in mainland and many, uh, very few happen in, in, uh, in, in the island. So um, I'm the oldest of eight siblings. I have six sisters and two brothers. Um, and I'm the mother of two uh, and I have a granddaughter. So her name is Mila. And, you know, she's the light of my life right now.
0: Beautiful. And uh, tell us about uh, Margarita Island. Um, I think you are the first person I hear about um, Venezuela having an island as a possession uh, and me coming from the island of Puerto Rico, a possession of the United States. I wonder um, about Margarita Island. What can we learn?
1: right you know i i always said that uh, puerto ricans cubans um uh, people from dominican republic you know that we come from islands i think that we have many things in common one of the things that we have in common is that we speak very loud okay (laughs) that we like to laugh um and i and i think it has to do with the wave of disease uh because you don't really listen to the wave of disease but if you think about you know the whole island uh, they have that uh, sound um and then we have really to talk um louder than anybody else just to overcome the the that that sound of the sea and you know that was research by the way um yeah, i remember wow. that I, I yeah i read that in um in in, in one in the scientific uh, journal mm. and, and i said wow that makes sense that's really, that's a good reason for me to, you know, just to justify how loud I am. <laughs> so Margarita Island is um, is, uh, is part of the Venezuelan territory. There are three islands together, and they are one state. The state is called Nueva Esparta State. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's less, um, you know, the internal population is smaller than Puerto Rico. Um, so, but it's very historical because uh, one of the, the first places that Cristóbal Columbus came, uh, you know, they he, he really uh, came to the island before going to Kumana in the mainland. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the island is a tax-free uh, shop island, uh, so we really have there wherever we want uh, or used to. Uh, you know, because the, the prosperity of the, of the country was also part of the prosperity of the island, right? Uh, but it's, that's the island in which uh, people will come for vacations. Um, you know, uh, children once, they are out of the school. Mom, we're going to Margarita. Okay, you know, because we have different type of uh, beach. You know, we have wave, we have very calm. Um, and the Margariteño, who is uh, who I am, you know, we are very friendly people, and we are always uh, just wanted to know more about you and uh, how to help you.
0: <laughs> Beautiful, thank you so much. Uh, learning something new every day. Um, so, Ana, can you walk us through your professional trajectory up to this wow. point?
1: Okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to go from the island to, I, in the island, I, I went to my elementary school and high school, and because we have only one higher education institution in the island, uh, like many other people that um, I, I really wanted to be a teacher, that was really my, my main, uh, and and of course, you know, the, the island was very, um, we didn't have uh, the the education as a profession in in that university, so I I went to Caracas, the capital of Venezuela. I went to the the, the first teachers college in in Latin America, uh, the Instituto Pedagógico de Caracas, was founded by um, using a French model of education. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that was the, uh, the, the 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 that teachers college. Um, uh, Became one of the of the most, um, uh, you know, one of one of the icons really in education in Latin America, and, and believe it or not, these founders of um, the uh, the science uh, uh, school of the Universidad Central de Venezuela, which is you know one of the main universities in the country, they all came from uh, the Pedagógico de Caracas. Wow. So. Um, and then from there, um, you know, I was um, uh, biology, two, two majors, biology and chemistry. Uh, so that's my, my roots in science. And so to teach in secondary schools. Um, then I came to the United States for my master's degree in curriculum and, um, and instruction. I went to University of Tennessee at Martin. Um, so Venezuela has one of the largest uh, scholarship in the world. And uh, during the presidency of Carlos Andrés Perez uh, during the democracy, you know we uh, there was 50,000 uh, um, people that went uh, overseas in different universities in, in Europe and the United States um, because Venezuela, most universities they have um, mass, some of them have, they have master degrees and some of them very few you know uh, PhDs. So I came for my master's degree, um, went to Cleveland, Ohio first for my English as a second language. I went to the Case West to Case Western Reserve University, mm-hmm. and then after that, um, you know, complete my uh, uh, my degree. I went back to went back home, and once I I was there, I went back to a school in Venezuela and to do my EDS. So I, I have an EDS in, in middle school curriculum. Mm. Uh, so after that, you know, eight years later, I saw this scholarship being announced uh, that was called Fulbright. And I said, hmm, I don't know what Fulbright is. The only thing that I know is that this is a scholarship. (laughs) And I applied because I I, I really wanted to do my doctoral degree. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was only one, one per country. okay, one scholarship. Right. So, you know, and I applied and it was as I competed with uh, 11 more. Um, this is an anecdote that I'm gonna tell you I went Please. to this um, uh, to the interview process and then there was two people from Harvard uh, there was you know people from the embassy and because the scholarship that I the the Fulbright scholarship that I was applying for was something that is called lastpa last is the Fulbright for Latin America mm. and Harvard uh, University is the administrator of the of that uh, scholarship so I, you know, I, I went into my interview and I said, um, and they said, you know, uh, we noticed that, have you noticed that this is a this is a scholarship for somebody that has, that doesn't have a master's degree um, because this is a scholarship only for a master's degree. And I said, and I said to them, I, I look at all of them and I said, but I have a plan and I'd like to propose you my plan.
0: Wow. <laughs> they,
1: were, they were laughing, okay, you know, the they laugh and they say, "Do you have a plan?" I say, "Yeah, you know, if you allow me to go, if you allow me to, I will go. I will use those two years for my uh, for my coursework. I will come back. I will work in my dissertation in the co- here in the country, and then I will go back and I will, you know, uh, presenting my dissertation, my work. And but, but I'm gonna tell you, maybe I will get a doctoral associate. Wow. They laugh. And they said, no, you know, this is for a master degree. And I said, you know, but they are excellent candidates outside. There are 10 of them. They all uh, deserve, you know, this, uh, this scholarship. So I said, goodbye, whatever. It was December, February 3rd, my birthday. I got a phone call from American embassy and they said, Anna, do you still have that plan that you proposed? Wow. They said, yes, I do. By that time I was married. And by that time, my husband didn't know that. And I say yes without even asking him, <laughs> <laughs> without even telling him. You know, at well, least we're going to the United States. So, but um, then, um, yeah, they they funded uh, with a Fulbright, wow. and I went to Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, uh, one of the best places that I have been. I was able to raise my kids there in a you know middle-sized um, city, uh, and I, I have. know very fond memories of my time in Kalamazoo. Um, So that's um, that's really the way and then I went back home uh, because the Fulbright demands that once you finish then you have to go back and stay in your home um, uh, for at least two years without coming back to the United States Mm. because it's supposed to be you're you're supposed to be a brain that is 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 going back you know to offer uh, the knowledge. Mm-hmm. So that happened. Um, I, uh, I have to say that after, the, you know, in those two years that I, that I remained in the country, I was a university professor. Um, and not only that, you know, I, I became the, an associate provost. I was a, a chair. Um, but before getting into the university, um, I was called by the minister of education and, and they needed to have an interim superintendent uh, for one of the largest school districts in the country. And they, they needed to have somebody with a master's degree at least or with, or with um, uh, uh, a doctoral degree. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I qualified at that time by that. So I was uh, in that interim position for eight months. I'm going to tell you one thing, Ephraim I admire the superintendent. That would not be my thing. That was extremely hard for me um you know because uh in in our countries the political the the the, the not the political system mm-hmm. we politicize many many things yeah. even the um friendships and uh, you know people really are looking for you because they needed a position from you okay. uh because uh well you know that's my wife and uh, so a, a politician a a, a, a a senator will call you and say, we're going on vacation and I need you to give me permission. A little <laughs> absent from my wife. So things like that. Yeah. So um, by the eighth month, with all my respect, minister, um, you know, I can't do this any longer. And I have 210 schools. Wow. That was an wow. extremely large. Yeah. Um, I went to very remote areas mm-hmm. um, in a helicopter from, uh, from the army. Wow. Uh, just to check on the schools, there was one room of schools and I have military schools and I have, you know, some municipalities, uh, schools. So um, I learned my lesson. And from that point, I learned how to respect the superintendent, uh, the principals, uh, because they really are the, the heroes in my life. Right. Wow. Yeah. From that point, uh-huh. um, when I came back to, uh, to when I came to Chicago, I was in the process of, you know, I divorced and then um, I got this, um, uh, I, 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 the Western Michigan University invited me to be a, a, a visiting professor for one year mm-hmm. and I accepted. I came to teach at the doctoral program. I was teaching research um, uh, and, uh, uh, and analysis and data analysis. And then um, uh, I was teaching at the PhD program um, so my chairperson that became my mentor later, Dr. Gene Thompson, he, he, every day he was, Anna, would you like to try and see how marketable you are? I said, Dr. Thompson, I have my position in Venezuela. I have my family there. You know, I, I, don't, I have no interest to, and then he said, you know, you, you need to try how marketable you are. Listen, listen who you are. You have a doctoral degree, you are a female, you are a Latina are bilingual. I mean, what else do you think the institution wants? They want a person like you. <laughs>
0: wow. Wow. It's good and to they, have people to he, encourage
1: he, you. Uh, Frank, he cut the, um, uh, the clips from the Chronicle of Higher Education, wow. and he put nine clips on my desk, and I said, I'm going to have to do this, because other than that, I don't think I'm going to be able to leave the country. I mean, this guy. <laughs> so, and, and I applied, and I left. So, Sooner than later, I, I got out of nine applications, I had uh, six interviews. They flew me in here to back to the United States. Um, I, I interviewed in four because I said, oh, no, I don't. Um, you know, there was those traveling. They were paying for everything. They brought me here. And then I ended up selecting Northeastern Illinois University, where I um, I spent 26 years of my of, of my career, um, and I chose Chicago. And, and I I have to tell you, I there was no money that brought me here. Uh, I had better offers in some other universities, but I saw in Northeastern people like me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and for me. Um, just getting up every day waking up and, and feeling that i was uh, welcome in that in, 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 in that organizational environment that was something that um, I, I i appreciated um that later on you know once you retire you you realize that well i should have gone to another major university offering me more than one hundred thousand dollars but i never did that i i i, I, I retired with a, you know very limited, um, retirement, but, but, but happy, you know, I, I, I met people like you, um, you know, you came to my classes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, and many people in the, in Chicago, I was able to graduate in Chicago. Um, I mean, more than 100 uh, principals. Um, and at the beginning was, you know, I was very intentional in my leadership, uh, because I kept seeing those numbers in Chicago, very low numbers in Latino, uh, la- la- Latino principals. And I said, this is something is wrong. The city doesn't look like this. So, and that was when I decided to to say, uh, no, you know, I'm going to intentionally uh, to recruit. And that's what I did. You know, I, I and, and that's probably what I know too many people in, in yeah. Chicago. Because once you know what principal, you know many
0: <laughs> absolutely you know all of them <laughs> We are yeah, so very right few. Now, you
1: know then in COVID um, I, I retired in 2019 I retired uh, at the end of 2019 with two purposes one to enjoy my granddaughter she was a baby baby six months old and then to, to go back to my island because my mother is 95 Right now, and uh, you know, by that time she was 93, and I, and I, I, you know, I said, you know, this is the time that I'm going to enjoy my my mom. Uh, we have great conversations, and and you know, I, and, and I was all the time uh, her reference. My father left uh, her when um, with eight kids, and my mother was able to survive, as I said, um, and we are right now eight professionals. But that's 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 my mom.
0: <laughs> wow! So wow.
1: Uh, then I was in Kobe in the middle of COVID, and I got a phone call from San Agustin College. Um, they said the president said to me, uh, "You know, your name has been um, recommended uh, by the board of trustees. Uh, there are three people in my board of trustees that said that uh, you, you you now it seems like you retired." I said, yes, I, I did. I, I retired. I said. Um, You know, we are going in this transition between the in-person into virtual Mm -hmm. and we would like to, we really need some some help. And I said, okay, doctor, what are you doing right now? And I said, like anybody else in this planet, nothing, (laughs) (laughs) nothing. And then she said, okay, could you? And I said, you know, but I'm going to be there only for three months, okay? I said, because in three months, the pandemic will be over. (laughs) <laughs> so I've been in San Agustín since then, since in since the year 2020. I'm the executive director of Academic Effectiveness. That's the quality assurance of the institution.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I do the accreditation of the institution. Um, as as I, I always said, you know the boring things that somebody has to do, but at the same time, I feel like sometimes, you know, I, uh, the people who are in accreditation. Since, since you are constantly evaluating the institution, you kind of become the police officer of the academic in the institution, right? Mm. And uh, people may not like it that, um, but I, I need to make sure that everything that we do, we do uh, with quality.
0: For sure. Wow. Let's try to peel back that onion. Um, what was... One thing, or the first thing that comes to mind when you remember moving from Margarita Island to Caracas.
1: Oh my God! Uh, I have to say that when you go to the uh, when you go to Caracas to the capital, the first thing is the family. Your family was something like, where? Where are you going? Caracas? No you can go there, you know, that's, that's too big. So for them, you know, the city really represented um, the dangerous or, or, you know, something like, you no, know, you can be exposed to that. And I say, well, but that's where I wanna go. So my mother, my mother said, I remember when I was leaving my house, you know, she said, I'm the only one supporting you. Nobody else is in agreement with you living uh, for Caracas. And I said, Mom, I will take those words. And I did.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah. That, um, sometimes we have to take that leap uh, of faith. Um, why did you decide uh, to go for education of all the professions?
1: You know, my, my grandmother, Anna, uh, from my father's side, um, she was a fifth generation of an Indian tribe uh, in the island. And, um, and one of the things that she did for her hometown where, where I was born, I was the only one who was born in Boca del Pozo, a very, very tiny town. Um, my mother was a nurse in there. And, and so, you know, um, uh, she used to teach uh, the catechism. She was very, very interested in having all those uh, children coming to her home, and then uh, you know teaching them um, uh, the the Rosary. Uh, but she was more interested in that they needed to read, mm. and that was really behind that. You know, teaching the catechism was a way for her to teach reading. Makes sense. Okay. Yes. And I think. Uh, I um you know I uh, by the way I uh, and the first teacher that came to that town he slept she provided housing for him and he slept in a in a a you know in a hammock yeah yeah right and uh, he was coming to that town only twice a week and and she was the one who made possible for him to come I think I am a teacher from my heart. I think I I inherited, you know, that I think I have, I've been teaching not because I, uh, because I have to teach is because I just want to teach. So I started my biology career in Margarita Island. I, I was, I went for one semester to Universidad de Oriente for marine biology. And I realized sooner than later that I didn't want to be uh, in a lab, I really wanted to teach biology. So, and that was the reason that I decided to leave because that was really what I wanted. I, I just wanted to teach. I, I was always the, the la maestra of my my siblings.
0: Oh, where are you?
1: <laughs> all the time, all the time. And then my mother gave me that role uh, when I was coming from Caracas for my vacation in the island. Uh, she would say, "Okay." Um, Please checking every one of your sisters and your brothers how they are doing in the school. So I, I I sit down in my you know around the table and I was going one by one. Um, okay, show me your 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 card. You know the the report card. Why are you doing so low here? Why are you you know just? I did that because it wow. was alone you know sure. by that time and 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 she needed she sold me somebody that, that was going to help her and that's what that's what that's what I did um Beautiful. now believe it or not i have another sister whose name is anna and she's also a teacher and she's a retired uh, principal
0: wow, right? wow.
1: its became teachers
0: <laughs> interesting so you have been a fulbright scholar five times mm-hmm. which one is the most memorable Fulbright uh, experience?
1: You know, I think I was a Fulbright in Armenia, um, you know, in the uh, European and Eastern European countries. I was a Fulbright in Armenia. Yerevan, the capital uh, has always remained in my my heart. Um, People in Yerevan, people in Armenia look like me. Um, I was a Fulbright in the Republic of Georgia, another um, country from the former Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Beautiful people. Um, I was a Fulbright uh, in in the Middle East, and I became hooked, as we said, in the Middle East. Uh, so I, I, I went to... I spent time in, in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. I spent time in Kuwait and, and I just spent time in, in Qatar. Um, I know how those countries look like from the beginning to the explosion of that they have now because I was there uh, you know from the beginning of those developments. Um, so but and then I went to Africa. I went to Liberia and when I went to Liberia um, that was, I went to the, uh, to the only community college, Gran Bassa Community College in a small town called Bucana. The, when I got there to that town, I realized that electricity was going to be off after, you know, in the morning. Um, to the afternoon, wow. and then the electricity was coming back at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. So all that that I have planned to do, because I was, I was going there, invited as a Fulbright specialist um, to develop curriculum for, um, uh, for the college and to train faculty. Ephraim, I, I realized that what you plan is not really what happened, Right. And when you were planning for a PowerPoint and you were planning for this and that, I said, I'm so glad that I brought with me markers. (laughs) (laughs) All my markers, I always travel with them, by the way, you know, with my markers and I have posting notes and I have things like that because nothing that I had in mind was going to, you know, didn't happen. But I went through my, my Fulbright post. I was the only female in the room, everybody was a male. Um, that was very recent in that the, the whole country has gone through Ebola. People were telling me when I was leaving for Liberia, are you crazy? And I said, well, I don't know, but but, but I think we'll I figure can help. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can help. So, and, and I went, um, so I, I have, uh, in doing my training, uh, of course, I use a lot of paper and I, I being, you know, being a teacher is the most creative pos- um, profession on this planet. Amen. So I'm going to tell you, uh, you cannot be creative with a patient when you are all in the, in the uh, operation room. You mm-hmm. cannot be creative, uh, you know, if you are an engineer that is building a bridge, Right. Yes. But you can be creating in the, in the middle of, the, of a lesson in the school, in your classroom, when you see that something is not going well and the children are not responding the way that you want them to respond. Immediately you switch. And then that's the creativity of a teacher. This is, yes. this is the most wonderful profess, profession in this planet because Amen. you really can make those changes immediately. You, you, you will not wait until tomorrow because there is no tomorrow for children to learn.
0: Amen. Well said, Anna. Thank you so much uh, for sharing those experiences. Uh, if you haven't, I encourage you to. But, but I want to tell you, L- yeah.
1: Liberia was mm-hmm. my, my was my favorite one because mm-hmm. I I I I I really think that I that I that that I did what, what I was expecting to do right, and and wow. and uh, the other places, wonderful places, wonderful people. Um, I enjoy and I enjoy, I I was a visiting professor in in Cairo, American University, Cairo, um, for for two years. And I live in this magnificent city. And and I believe that I was born in Egypt some (laughs) time ago, okay, because I look Egyptian. I was there during the revolution. I was there during the Arab Spring. And I'm gonna tell you, I was, I took the, the Egyptian flag in my hand. I took my camera. I'm here and I went to the Tahrir Square where all these millions of people gathered and I took pictures without speaking because I said, if I speak, you know, they Boy, will know no. that I don't know any, you know, the Arabic. Language. Yeah. So, and, and that's what I said. Um, wow. I, I, I took pictures and they, they were posing for me and.
0: Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Now that I think about it, you can certainly be confused with an Egyptian, no doubt yes. about him. <laughs> so like in Back to the Future, if you could go back in time, what would the Anna of today tell the Anna of back then?
1: First of all, um, I wish I could have learned how to manage my time. Okay, the time management it is easy to find yourself loving more your job than your family moments. Not your family, your family moments. Uh, particularly in my role as a woman, right? Um, your children will never, you know, they will always remind you about those times that you uh, that you missed with them. About those times that I was not able to be here with them. So uh, they will tell you that so uh, i i i wish i could have done things different differently you know with my time the other one that i that i believe that uh, definitely it's something that i learned with my age is to take care of myself i wish i i could have taken care of my my myself first you know using the oxygen principle of the airplane mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay put your mask first and then uh, help the the person that is next to you. That's true. Um, I wish I could have put my mask first and then you know just helping the other one. But I help the other one and then I put my mask later. Um, I don't complain. I don't regret. But if I if if I had known that many years ago, I should have done that in that direction. You know, take care taking care of myself first. That has to do with my mental health. And that's really what uh, I I, will, I always tell, you know, the younger generation of teachers and principals. And I say, just make, make sure that you take your time and you take care of yourself.
0: That is a great advice that everybody says, but many few people many do. Many people they
1: don't do. Right.
0: Beautiful. Uh, let's continue with, uh, uh, let's talk about books. As you know, mm-hmm. reading is such a luxury. And now with... <laughs> Digital books and audio—it has uh, amplified the opportunities to read. If you have to gift two books, one fiction and one nonfiction to a loved one, which books will those be?
1: Oh my God! One book that I—a uh, uh, fiction book—I was walking in the streets of Buenos Aires, and um, I, you know, one of the places that that I that I love to visit. When I, I'm still the book person. You know, I need to touch.
0: Yeah,
1: Um, and I always stopped by uh, bookstores,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and I was I saw in the window all these books of the same author, and it was called La Sombra del Viento, The Shadow of the Wind. Um, This is the 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 writer is Carlos Ruiz Zafón.
0: Zafón. Yeah,
1: and there is a, a actually there is a trilogy. You know, because there are three books, but the first book that he wrote was this one. Um, you know, the La sombra del viento. I said, "Wow, I'm going to buy this book because my flight from from Buenos Aires to Chicago is going to be very long." And that happened. You know, I've been in Chicago 28 years. Um, and I said, "You know, this this could be a good reading." Um, and, and maybe I will fall asleep. Wow. I didn't. I took that book and I was, oh my God, oh, my God. oh you know, this is, yeah, the, this is, a uh, there was in 2001, he published this novel in 2001. The book became a bestseller, 15 million copies sold. Um, the, the novel is actually um, within, a story within a story, okay? Because it's, it's about, it was in the 1940s, um, uh, I remember the protagonist was Daniel um, and his father um, invited him to go to a cemetery of books. And then um, uh, uh, and he has to go like, a, 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 you know, under, um, it, it was like a labyrinth. Yeah. Of, and he realized that he was in this labyrinth of books, but he was very attracted by this book that he took on his hand and watched, you know, the the La Sombra del Viento. Everything happened in Barcelona, in Spain. And by the way, there is a there is a walking tour that will take you in Barcelona uh-huh. to all the places that uh, La Sombra del Viento takes you. You know, when when you are reading. Um. So it's this is the type of of, of, of um of, of books that I. You know that, that I actually after that I was recommending that book everywhere, everywhere, everyone. Until then, the second one came, mm-hmm. Um and then a third one. So, but I, uh, but that uh, that book really was one of those books that I that I would recommend. The, the shadow yeah. of, of the wind, uh, the la sombra del viento. Um, that that book, um I thought to tell you the truth that uh, Carlos Ruiz Zafón, uh, in sometimes you know he could have won the um, the the literature, um, a Nobel prize. Uh, mm. was, um, he has been a candidate several times, but you know, an, an excellent writer. Wow. My nonfiction book is Reframing Leadership. Okay. You know, uh, Bollman and Leo. Um, Lee Bowman, the first time that I came across this book was when Lee Bolman was working in Harvard University and he created just a pamphlet there was, you know, a few pages, something put together, uh, and then I was in Caracas, uh, Venezuela. I was invited by the um, by the American Embassy. They w- they invited provost and an assistant provost and whatever, you know, and I was part of that. And the trainer that came from Harvard was using the reframing leadership, and that was when I when I learned those principles. And for me, it was wow, that really makes a lot of sense. You know, that really makes a lot of sense that we have four different type of, of organizations. You know, the, the symbolic organizations that the analogy is a temple, a church, which really meaning is really what has meaning, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then the structural frame that really recreate these organizations as a factory. And in which if you have 100 Coke Coca-Cola cans, you will get this amount of money at the end because it's very straightforward, you know, very linear. And then you have the human resources, which is a family-oriented. So for principals learning every child's name, that's part of the human resources frame, yeah, right? Sure. And then and then you have uh, the political frame, something that we can escape uh, because um, the, the political frame is a jungle, according to Bolman and Diel. Um, and then uh, in the principalship, I know uh, that you has to you has to be a politician. Sometimes you has to bargain with people. You has to negotiate. You know that better than I do. I praying because that's really what uh, that all those pieces. It's a chess it, game. Exactly, all those four pieces put it together create a good um, organizational. Um, um, environment and if you uh, and all those principles are also applied to the leadership aspect so you could be a leader who is structural and you could move according to and i don't want to say according to the situation because I, i i you know because then i we will go into another theory but you know you can move really with some actions leadership actions into a symbolic and and um, and then because I, I the balance of those for framed is really what makes the organization
0: unique. Makes a lot of sense. Beautiful, so reframing leadership in la sombra del viento.
1: La sombra del viento. Yeah. Fantastic. One of my best.
0: <laughs> so uh, before we continue, let's appreciate the Teach Better community. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today better tomorrow and the podcast to get you there explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com now let's get back to the episode so anna who is or who are your biggest influences
1: definitely my mother Uh, she's my biggest influencer she's now 95 she raised eight children all professionals little money um she cleaned stores, uh, she sold um, uh, women and uh, main clothing in Venezuela mainland. She went to the mainland and, and then, you know, she, she knocked doors by doors and, and, and she was a, a, a clothing you know, seller. Um, uh, she also was a nurse by training um, in her hometown before she got married. Um, she worked in a rural clinic for 23 years. Right now, that small town gave her name to the clinic. Wow. Right, she has uh, that honor. Um, and then, um, and 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 then, my mother, at the age of 90, she decided that she wanted to record a, a CD of boleros.
0: Wow, that's right. awesome!
1: And that is in YouTube. Her name is Melusina, and the name of this CD is Melusina with S. Um, Melusina 90 años. So you have um, 12 boleros. And she did that because she wanted to teach us, her children, um, particularly the six girls, how to sing. Mm. We sing. Uh, we, I'm coming from a family from her side, you know, a family of musicians. We have tremendous parrandas, you know, in uh, in our home. Uh, Christmas is a great wow. a place to be, and my mother sings. My mother now is ninety five, and with COVID, unfortunately, um, you know, just protecting and protecting her so much, and but at the end, you know, she contracted COVID, and she she has she has a, a very you know she lost memory because she she was not vaccinated. That's it. Um, uh, so, you know, when I when I go, she sometimes she's very clear and she knows who I am and all the things and 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 then uh, and she loves music and we put her CD and we said, mom, do you know who is singing? And she said, I don't know, but she sings beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> so and I said do you know those songs yeah I know all of them because it seems like you know music is something that you don't uh, um, lose you know yeah. my second being influence, big influencer is my song Julián Serafín uh, my song is a truly humanitarian uh, he um, he preferred not to make any money and he he went to to um, uh, the School for International Training in Vermont. He graduated in non-for-profit organizations. And then um, uh, and he has devoted his time and his effort to help others. Uh, he's been in, uh, he has worked with uh, Doctors Without Borders. He has worked with Save the Children. Right now, he is with the United Nations. Uh, he has been in natural disasters, pandemics, Ebola, is uh, one COVID uh, war zones like Afghanistan, Syria. He has been in displaced communities in African countries. Um, he had a master degree in environmental management. And because of that, he specializes in water. So when he traveled with uh, those uh, humanitarian um, groups, you know, he makes sure that the water that is, being, uh, that is going to be consumed is, uh, is, is clean. And, you know, just to avoid uh, pandemics, you know, with mm-hmm. with um, the uh, the consumption of bad water. So right now he's in in Kenya. He's in, um, wow. um, but he his work has always been as a volunteer. Uh, even though he has the degrees and having a degree in environmental management, you know that right now that could be, you know, making a lot of money, but no, sure. that's not it. And I appreciate him. Uh, because he taught me what I know about humanitarian um, uh, issues. And, um, you know, Julian has had uh, challenges, mental challenges, because when you are exposed to uh, those difficult conditions, you know, and, and you really feel like from your heart you, you wanted to help more, but, but, but you can't. So that really impacts uh, somehow uh, who you are in terms of your mental health but um he's
0: my hero right beautiful thank you so much and um best wishes to julian and your mom um (laughs) let's talk about uh that thing that is called imposter syndrome sometimes we feel that we are not good enough not smart enough not tall enough and not enough um (laughs) how do you address that
1: well, you know, the imposter syndrome, I think it has always been present in my professional life, no matter what. Um, I, I, I think coming to the United States um, assess who I am. You know, that was really an assessment of who I, who I was and as a faculty in higher education, uh, the system made me believe that I needed to perform higher than anybody else. Uh, that um, that because of my minority condition, because of my accent when I'm speaking, because of my second language use when writing, I really need I, I really need to to be in it in the highest level of performance. Um, then I felt um, that I was inadequate many times in my performance, although I knew and um, that I have. Uh, I have provided the best of me. I knew that I had that been confirmed by external viewers, you know, that, that, I, that what I delivered was correct. But this condition uh, of wanting to be more because I was assessing myself in the other direction um, really made me feel like I was a fraud, um, that I was doubting all the time of my abilities. Um, I, although I believe that my professional life has been very fulfilling um, with success at many levels, that success really has had a high cost. And I agree that imposter syndrome uh, is a mental health condition, definitely, um, that affect people like me, um, that affect high achievers, uh, the perfectionists of my side, um, who are not able to accept failures. And because I am not able to accept failures, then I, you know, I push myself to the edge, that um, that it has to happen, you see. Yeah. And regardless of my time with my family, and regardless about this, and regardless, you know, this is something that is have to happen. I made it happen, but at what cost? You see, so I'm always thinking that this um, that I needed to do better because that was not good enough. Uh, the imposter syndrome is, is could be very toxic uh, sometimes, and and could be uh, and, and people can use it the, the uh, this as a as excuse for for failing. But um, I believe it's a, it's an actual mental health problem. Um, you know, lately I've, I've been um dedic I've been devoting my time ta- my my time to to be trained in mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I'm doing that because we have a, a, um, an arriving new immigrant communities, and they are bringing, you know, many uh, issues like that. And I and I and I believe, you know, that that I, if I can help, I will. But but going back to that um, uh, imposter syndrome, yeah, that has, that has been with me, um, my bad companion for many for many years, and it's still.
0: It's interesting that you uh, mentioned because this question uh might be answered differently from someone who is not a minority in a country that has um in many ways different expectations Mm -hmm. if you have an accent if you look in a different way if you are female um and uh it it gives you almost a pressure that you have to put everything in your personal life to the side and focus so internally just to level up with the people that might not have to do those sacrifices. Right. Thank you for mentioning that, it is, it's very important. Uh, what advice do you have for those people uh, that perhaps shouldn't do the same of focusing only in their careers and ignoring the- You, the, the, you,
1: the right. you know, the this, this issue of, of uh, when you think that you are a fraud is because you have done so much that you still believe that there is something that is lacking. Um, and, and then, and you think about more and more, and you know that it's perfect, but it's still, you don't think it's perfect. I think that my advice could be uh, to anyone that is going through this perfectionist or that believe. That, that that is still, there is something missing, even though you know that there's nothing missing. It's, it's it's just believe in what you did. You are the only expert. So and if you know how to teach bilingual in the classroom, you are the expert. Believe in that. You have we have to learn to believe because that will really ease your 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 mental um perfectionist side um, and, you know, and you can be more relaxed in what you do Beautiful. because one of the things about being, having this syndrome, you know, the imposter syndrome is that um, everywhere that you go, you really think that you are in this theater that you have to perform at a higher level and you are the protagonist of the movie. But sometimes secondary um Positions in a movie, those do grace as well. Yes. So, and I think... I
0: love love that you said learn to believe. I love that. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about your productivity. Um, As you know, being successful includes being on top of our productivity, but this means different things for different people. How does Ana Gil Garcia get organized To ensure that things get done
1: (laughs) you're gonna laugh i pray i still do my to-do list
0: yeah me too (laughs) me too tell us about your to like literally walk us through your to-do list process oh my god you know
1: i i um every morning the first thing that i do when i go to my office is uh, you know i I create my to-do list for today um, and then I check my to-do list from yesterday to see how many things I did not complete. And then I transfer those into my to-do list today. And I just start with those that I didn't complete the day before. Uh, those could be—I classify them, by the way. I—I—I I, I, I classify them by um, the things in my work, uh, my personal, and then my my non-for-profit life. So I do that. Um, and and that's 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 for me, and then I cross you know the things and I feel mm-hmm. this is a good feeling you know when you have all those <laughs>
0: it's a dopamine <laughs> rush absolutely <Right. laughs> absolutely thank you. Uh, it is um me leading uh, educators uh, you'd be surprised of how many have no clue about how good it is to develop your to do list so you have more bandwidth to do. Really? what is meaningful instead of thinking, oh, that I have to do this, I had to do that. And, you know, I'm wondering what to do. And uh, tell us about uh, your calendar. Do you have a manual calendar? Do you do it No, digitally? I do use
1: email. And I, I'm going to tell you, I, I do um, email because I preserve a copy for documentation purposes. Okay. Um, I've learned that um, sooner than later. <laughs> because, yeah, um, you know, just... Uh, when you're sending a letter to the staff when you're sending a message a message i i, I keep track of you know all that um, um because it's, it's very you know and sometimes it will happen with technology you never know if the person received the the email if the email really went into the junk you know those things and i keep track of that so I that's see. the reason that i uh, you know my best calendar is 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 that you know just um, and i create folders um, you know folders and i put those in folders and and I, and I think it has worked for me
0: so for someone that travels so long and you spend uh, um, large amount of time in different countries uh talk to us about the productivity side of that how do you organize i don't know your bills your home uh, the things that you left behind to go and spend time in in another place like what advice do you have for those that might be going on their first long away trip uh, in their lives?
1: You know, um, I have those phone calls, by the way, you know, people who are going with a Fulbright, for example, and they said, oh, we, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the Middle East. And so uh, what should I do? Should I rent my house oh, or, you know, and I said, don't do that. Uh, you know, if you because how long are you gonna go? If you're going for six months, that doesn't make any sense. You know, just to rent your house, especially because the Fulbright scholarship, uh, talking about Fulbright, is a is very is a very generous um, uh, scholarship. Mm-hmm. They really treat you very well, um, and then you will have enough money just to keep, uh, you know, your your rent here and there and so. On. Um, so one of the things, um, you know, just learning the the system, uh, it's not the same to keep track of your um, bank account here in the United States than in another country, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, because in another country you go, you have to go inside at the bank and then you have to do this line, being in this line, you know, you know, you don't have the access. But right now, things have changed um, um, a lot. You know, you, you will find ATM machines and things like that, that, that many years ago, you know, you couldn't find that. Um, Yes, you have to you has to be very aware that you have expenses here in the country and you have expenses in the other side. Um, so just keeping uh, 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 keeping your. For me, I keep everything um, in in recurring payments. Okay. Um, uh, so I keep track through my banks, the mm-hmm. bank here and the bank there. I make sure that before I leave, I have the electricity is in there. Um, the payment for my car is in there, you know, everything uh, is, um, is through my bank so that I don't have to rely in anybody that I may not have here in town, you know, to make any payment for me. Makes so, but, 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 it, but it takes a little bit of, of organizing all your bills um, in one bank. No multi, no multiple banks because then you will go crazy. But you know, just in one, and then from that point, um, when you're there, then you organize your life there in this in, in a similar manner. You don't really have to be uh, just just going uh, nuts, you know, in 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 pain here, pain there. When yeah. you have a system that is going to allow you, you know, just to do that recurrent.
0: Makes sense, um, Anna. Uh, when, as an author of books. Um, Tell us about how do you, what do you do when you write? Do you listen to music? Do you put candles? Uh, and what advice do you have for those that would like to uh, write?
1: Ephraim, right, you know that I wrote my dissertation with boleros?
0: <gasps> Did you? Wow. Yeah,
1: I put, and believe me, people say, how could you do that? And I said, you know, I put, uh, you know, by that time when I graduated, uh, mm-hmm. that was not, uh, you know, the, the technology for now, right? You know, I had my headphones mm-hmm. and I put my cassette, put my cassette, and there was all these boleros. And I was typing, thinking about what I, what I was writing and singing.
0: Wow. Your and, brain must be huge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know about that. But I'm going to tell you, um, music has always been with me when I'm writing, mm-hmm. and and it doesn't matter. Could be instrumental music or could be music that I that I like to sing along with. Um, uh, but but music is part of my of my writing system. Um, <clears throat> by the way, I'm now I'm at the beginning of writing another book with somebody that you know very well, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Carlos Ascoitia.
0: Oh yeah, wow, uh... <laughs> Yeah, Carlos. we're working
1: together in a community leadership book. So, wow. um, so wow. we we are at the, uh, at the beginning we have made and uh, we have agreed in the in the outline. So you know, um, so we have a the our target is April next year. So you you will
0: wow.
1: you will hear from us.
0: <laughs> yeah, Carlos was my uh, dissertation advisor. I know. Absolutely, and uh, uh, such an esteemed scholar. Uh, do you still write with boleros, or do, uh, has something changed?
1: Well, you know, I, I, I like boleros. Boleros is, was instilled in my uh, body my, by my mother and my family. And, and um, I, I believe that, I, you know, of, of course, uh, there are some boleros that I like more than some others. And, um, and, and if, if I know the, the, the lyrics, it's mm-hmm. even better. Because then uh, I'm singing and I'm not thinking I'm not thinking about you know the bolero, I'm thinking about you know what I'm writing because I know the lyrics without even thinking, forcing myself, you know, to think about that.
0: Beautiful. So when like Shakespeare, when the live theater, the curtain closes and you take up the hat of professor, administrator, humanitarian, what does Anna do for fun?
1: Oh, I do. Um, I do pilates. You know, I learned that. Um, you know, I do that three three days a week. That put me in a situation for one hour that I don't think about anything else. My brain is blank, and and I enjoy doing that. Um, I found that as my niche two years ago. I I, I have never been somebody very disciplined about myself in terms of exercising um, because I was going to a gym and I said oh, how boring this is it? it was something like you know it never was with me I like to walk I do walk and I enjoy walking um, but then I somebody said to me can you try Pilar? I said no and I said well this is okay well I'm, I'm gonna go and just see but that was immediately I said wow. this is for me because I have somebody that is guiding me in what to do and, mm. and they are and they are very, uh, you know, just telling me put your your foot in this way, you know, and your feet, you, you know. There, there is really the attention is what I needed. Wow. And I found that with uh, Pilates. The other thing that I that I that I love to do is uh, I enjoy the peace of my home. Um, Fridays. You can invite me any other day to do anything, but please do not do that on Fridays because Friday, Friday for me is my my house. I come home and, and it's something like okay. It's my time for a vinito and i um i put a movie in, uh, in and i watch a, a movie um and then you know just easy i i i dine on my own um and then you know and i go to bed for me something like this is my time
0: luxury you know,
1: my private time and my time mm. that i i don't make any phone calls i don't pick up the phone on fridays evenings. Um, you know, so, you won't find me Friday evening. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Friday is sacred day. I like that.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Anna, this has been such a great time learning from your wisdom and productivity. Any last thoughts for the listeners and viewers of the show?
1: You know, one of my passions um, is my work for communities. And you know that, right? You know, I, I've been uh, in this for many years. And particularly communities in need. Um, I really like to. Um, I, I, I I really like the listeners to know that when I, I founded the uh, Illinois Venezuelan Alliance in 2016 uh, for humanitarian reasons to send to ship um, humanitarian aid to Venezuela uh, because of this uh, dramatic uh, crisis, humanitarian crisis that is being considered by the United Nations. You know the uh, the most serious crisis in uh, in um, in Latin America ever. So, um, but then sooner than later, I realized this past year, August 2022, that they were here. Uh, so I didn't need to send to ship any more humanitarian aid there because I needed to reframe the humanitarian aid internally. So this um um. I really like to thank, um, I'm very grateful to the city of Chicago. I'm very grateful to the Cook County. I'm very grateful to the state of Illinois because the response given to this community, especially 80% of them are Venezuelans. Only 20% are coming from other countries. Right now, there are 12,000 new immigrants in the city. Sleeping in the streets, sleeping in police stations, sleeping in 14 shelters. Humanely, they have, the the city of Chicago has done an extraordinary work. I believe that we are learning as we go. Um, I don't think that the city or any city was ready for this. And any mistakes needed to happen because that's the only way that now, you know, you start doing things that you didn't do last September. So my gratitude, my gratitude to all communities, Guatemaltecos, salvadoreños, mexicanos, the people from here, they go to shelters, they bring food, they bring clothes, they, you know, this is a very, very, very generous country and city wow. And I'm very grateful for
0: that. Wow um, Anna um, thank you for after putting your mask, putting the mask in others um, that is always needed and people like you make this world better. Okay, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for your time and dedication um, and this has been a great time.
1: Oh, yeah, great time for me too. Yeah. And so good to see you, friend <laughs> Oh,
0: the same, absolutely. Un abrazo. Un abrazo
1: grande. Bye.
0: Have a great day.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you for listening to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Epaim Martinez. Chulo. And the production, Chulo Out.